0: You're watching The Sports Objective, the podcast for Pirates. You're watching The Inside Slam on The Sports Objective. Over the next hour, the guys will be joined by -by play-by-play voices, beat writers, and other analysts from around the nation as they preview this weekend's college football action. So hear from you throughout the show via Facebook Live on our YouTube channel or on Twitter at the Sports Obj. Now,
1: here are the guys.
2: Welcome into the Inside Slant as we take a look at the week's top games, talk college football news, and uh, with us right now, ladies and gentlemen, producing—he's like Willie Nelson on the road again. It's Bubba Rosenbaum, How are you?
3: I'm doing well, Dave. As always, excited to talk some college football as we take a look at week three and some of the better games. And, you know, obviously here in just a moment, as you see there on the screen, we'll be joined by David Glenn. Uh, But we'll also, later in the hour, catch up with the play-by-play voice of the Wake Forest Demon Deacon, Stan Cotton. And also uh, our viewers and listeners will have a chance to hear a conversation that I had earlier on this evening with David Ware, from App State Mania, the Mountaineers 24-7 sports
2: site. Absolutely. It's going to be an action-packed show. Anytime we have David Glenn, DG, man, so great to have you back. And from uh, chapelboro.com, accsports.com. And one day, maybe I'll get my wish to be able to – I thought about you last week when I was looking up uh, wralsportsfan.com. I used to listen to you that way. Uh, Maybe one of these days I'll be able to selfishly, and for many fans around the state and – around actually the world you can hear him. i uh, love to have you back on the airwaves. How's it going?
1: I'm doing great, Dave. It's always fun to be with you and Bubba. And it's funny, I still do radio or TV or a podcast virtually every day. Uh, so it's certainly different than hosting my own three-hour show, as I did for a couple of decades. But uh, it's still great to be able to talk to the listeners out there and to catch up with folks like y'all from time to time.
2: Yeah, first off, I was going to tell you, I thought about you a couple weeks ago. I was uh, the, thinking about the tailgate tour, and, man, that would have been definitely on your list, the NC State ECU game. I was yeah. tailgating, thinking about you with a tailgate tour, you um, know, Continental Tire. Maybe we could get them to uh, – we'll have to talk to you. Maybe you could hook us up with a <laughs> inside track to a sponsorship. But, anyway, I'm, I digress. But it was uh, one heck of a game. I'm, I tell you what, we've suffered so long. As you know, with and I know Anthony's got to be happy to your son going to East Carolina graduating. Now he can finally say, hey, man, our program is back to – it's not where it belongs, but it's certainly a lot better than it was just a few years ago.
1: Oh, there's no doubt about it. And that's why Mike Houston was hired, right? Everywhere he had been, he had been successful. Division two, FCS. And you knew it would take a little while because the Scotty Montgomery era was that bad. Uh, But sure enough, as the predictions were that by year three, by year four, Mike Houston would have the arrow pointed back in the right direction. That's exactly what's happened at ECU. And they played the Wolfpack down to the end and had a couple of chances to win it and made made a lot of great plays and certainly belonged on the same field as a squad that was and is ranked in the national top 25. Um, my son, Anthony, as a graduate, wishes that his timing was a little different <laughs> because his years there were not quite as successful on the gridiron. Uh, but as an alum, he's definitely going to enjoy, you know, more of these winning records and bowl trips and the other good things that go with those.
2: No doubt. And uh, we obviously looking forward to it. One of the things I want to talk to because we're going to dive into some of the games this week, but a global picture, something um, it happened what a week or two ago. Before, uh, after the last time we had you on, the football expansion, the playoff expansion. Just want to get your thoughts. Does this help an App State in East Carolina? I feel like it does. Uh, maybe this is a, a, a finally a chance of. It's not perfect, but it's a lot better than where we've ever been.
1: Well, it's going to make a lot of people a lot of money. That's for sure, and that's the biggest reason that we're going to get it. It's nothing philosophical. It's not what's best for the players. It's not what's best for the fans. It's These schools are going to make a whole lot of money and much more than they've been making uh, in terms of the truckloads of money that they're already making with the four-team format. I think it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out with those top four conference champions getting uh, essentially an open week uh, and automatically advanced to the round of eight. But 12 is certainly more inclusive than 8, than, than either 4 or it right now, or 6 or 8 would be. So I'm personally happy that it's going that way. I still think we're going to end up with a lot of national champions whose names are the same as they are under these four-game formats, but the fun factor will be higher. And I've always thought in college basketball, for example – You could have a middling season, but know in the back of your mind that if you win your conference championship, you're still going to the big dance. Maybe you just happen to play your best ball late in the season for whatever reason. There's that Cinderella all-inclusive aspect to March Madness, and it'll never be that way. It'll never be that wide open in football for obvious reasons, but 12 is better than four once we get to it, and it does leave the door cracked for teams outside the power five to not only get in, but show that they belong.
2: No doubt. Our good friend uh, actually uh, from Williamston, North Carolina, like me, Richard Allsbrook, who's in uh, Greenville now. uh, He says DG. Let's see if I can put that up there. September 10th, 2022 is the very reason the college football uh, 12 teams need to be included. Uh, Go App State, Marshall and Georgia Southern and, that leads me. The reason I brought that up, DG, is there's some that are saying I heard national media now finally saying Sunbelt better than the American. Would you agree with that or is that still to be determined?
1: Yeah, I think it's still a little bit too early for that. I mean, App State is a heck of a program, so I'm not ready to give the whole Sunbelt uh, credit for what App State has done. Um I think when you look at the numbers since 2015, App State has won more games overall at the FBS level than everybody not named, you know, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and Georgia, and one, maybe one more. The Mountaineers are truly, uh, you know, number six, I think, on that list, the last I saw. Marshall is also, I think, very good this year. But I'm not sure who else in that league is good. There are several other maybes. Whereas we know Cincinnati's a really good team in the American. Uh, I think UCF and SMU and Houston um, and, and maybe others will be good from the Americans. So, hey, I'll tip my cap to the Sun Belt for the amazing week they had, but uh, I'm a body of work guy, and, and nobody gets a prize as a conference for a great week. If you do it over the full regular season, including these intersectional matchups against members of other conferences, if the numbers spit out that you're better than the American, then I'll tip my cap to you. Uh, But all we know right now is that there's a couple of really good teams in the Sun Belt. We'll see if there's more than that, and we'll see what kind of depth the American ends up with. It's just too early to tell in mid-September.
2: Spoken, hey, Bubba, spoken like a true attorney. He's got to have the evidence, Bubba. He's got to have the evidence.
3: Yeah, and DG is certainly correct on that. I mean, App State has done it year in, year out. Uh, You've had, uh, obviously, Coastal got a scare last weekend, the last couple seasons, and the Chanticleers have been very good. And, uh, you know, Georgia Southern has had good teams, and then Marshall's been solid at times. But um, they haven't done it with the consistency that App State uh, has, uh, to say the least.
2: No doubt. And when, when you're looking at uh, the comp, there's some people DG, uh, obviously, including uh, hopefully Kyle will get uh, he's been under the weather, had surgery on Monday. We Our, our thoughts and prayers with him. Uh, he's a resting at home right now. He couldn't be on tonight with us, but he and I always go out of DG. Not that I'm anti the teams. It's not like that I'm anti the teams. They're in the Sun Belt. I think it makes sense. Regional rivalries that we've played for many years talking about East Carolina, but I think that Money-wise, you're taking three or four, at least three, four, maybe even $5 million hit when it comes to the TV contracts as of right now. And I don't think it makes sense for East Carolina unless the the American were to fold and you had no other choice.
1: Yeah, I only heard part of that, Dave, because you were breaking up on me a little bit there. But we all know that not only is it a multi-tier system when it comes to money. Um, but it's, it's really even more tiers than it's ever been. It's the Big Ten and the SEC way up at the top by themselves. I mean, there's now a big gap between those two leagues and the other three members of what some people call the Power Five. Uh, you know, the Pac-12 and the Big 12 and the ACC are, are nowhere near those other two leagues right now. After the top five, there's another enormous drop. So whoever you like outside of those top five leagues, it is peanuts compared to piles of gold. And, you know, the, the, uh, the Big Ten just signed a new TV deal that's going to be worth collectively more than a billion dollars a year with a B. That is a first in the history of college sports. One billion dollars per year from your TV partners. There are some leagues still measuring what they get in the millions or the tens of millions. Right. So we're not talking about slight shades of gray differences here. We are talking about haves and have nots. Now, it doesn't mean you can't be good within your league. It doesn't mean you can't be entertaining. It doesn't mean you can't have fun playing football or any other sport. But these are not similar economic models. And the reality is there are two leagues with one model. There's another three with kind of a second tier model. And then there's everybody else way down the ladder. And I just don't see that changing anytime soon. And that's why when some members of these lower leagues get a chance to move, they jump at it, right? I mean, it didn't take Cincinnati long to decide to leave the American. It, it that's how it's gone for a long time. Heck, it didn't take Maryland too long to decide to leave the ACC a decade ago because they could see up in Maryland where the Big Ten numbers were going. So everybody's got to live in their own kind of subset of this new universe that we have. It, that that hierarchy I just gave is not going to change dramatically anytime soon. It, it Gaps could narrow a little bit. They could expand a little bit. But it it is essentially a three- or more-tiered world financially. And, of course, that's going to show up on the field because it affects how much you can pay your coaches, pay your assistant coaches, recruiting budget, facility upgrades. Over time, of course it matters. Um, It doesn't mean you can't do great things. I mean, Dabo Sweeney has two national championships at Clemson in football. It's not that the financial gap has killed his program. But we all know football is king right now, and the Big Ten and the SEC fill more stadiums than anybody else, more big stadiums, and they also get more millions of TV eyeballs on their product every Saturday than those other leagues get.
2: Yeah, have you heard any more as far as the uh, ACC, will will they stay intact with a grant of rights? I mean, I know that's pretty, we talked about that before, or the likes of the rumors you hear of Florida State, Clemson, other schools leaving maybe Duke and North Carolina going to the Big Ten. There's all kinds of rumors we've heard, uh, and that's one of the reasons why we had you on tonight is uh, the conference expansion. Have you heard any more, is that going to be like the NBA like free agency we only have in the summertime?
1: Well, a few months ago, while it felt like half or two-thirds of the world were telling you that the ACC was about to crash and crumble and disintegrate, I was telling people, not so fast, my friend, to steal a line from Lee Corso. (laughs) It's just not that simple as an attorney, I have read those documents and the reality right now, Dave is of course you can make a lot more money by leaving the ACC for the Big Ten or the SEC. Nobody argues that part of the equation. but there's two penalties to leave. One is the traditional exit fee, which is three times the check the check three times the size of the check you get from the conference office. so that's 35 million times three. That's $105 million. That's only part one of the penalty of leaving. The grant of rights, for those who don't know, and it's hard to explain, but you're basically signing away the value of your TV and multimedia rights to the conference you're leaving. This is already signed. This is in print, in ink, all the way through 2036. Anybody who would say leave the ACC, let's say next year, just, just as a hypothetical, 2023, they would be signing away 13 years' worth of their multimedia rights, which are worth a lot of money. So it's $105 million plus more hundreds of millions just to leave. And for the next 13 years, your new league is not getting that multimedia rights money. You're playing all those games as a member of your new league, but the money's going to your forward league. That's not going to happen anytime soon. And we talked about people trying to beat it in court, trying to come up with some kind of legal loophole. I can promise you if Clemson's lawyers or Florida state's lawyers had found that loophole with confidence by this point, we would, we would see more movement the way we did with Texas and Oklahoma, jumping to the sec and, with the big 10 growing by two and adding Southern Cal and UCLA.
2: And if it was so easy for Oklahoma and Texas, they would have already been an sec, right? I mean, they have to wait until uh, next year is going to be fun with the, uh, I'm going to be interested to see the scheduling for big 12 next year where you have Oklahoma and Texas and they're trying to schedule those games. And then you bring in the likes of four more teams and that's uh, a hot mess as they say, but um i don't know if bubba could hear that or not but i got you now dave can you hear
3: me all right yeah you're good now okay sorry about that um i'm pulled into the house and i connected to the wi-fi and um needed to disconnect right quick but um you know DG, taking a look around the nation and we'll specifically talk more about the ACC, which you follow extremely closely here in a moment. But uh, obviously you had Alabama getting the scare last weekend. Georgia has been very dominant. Uh, Obviously the the second of those two games was against an SDS foe. But what are some of the things that have stood out over the first couple weekends of action?
1: Yeah, well, from an ACC perspective, I've always – you guys know me. I've covered the league since 1987, but I never mince words. And, you know, the thumbnail sketch for the ACC includes it's usually one of the best men's basketball conferences, not always number one, but always one of the best. And it's rarely one of the very best in football. It just It's almost never as good as the SEC. It's often behind the Big Ten, sometimes behind those other leagues. And this year, it has a pretty good start. I mean, it has five teams in the national top 25. There's only one year in the history of the ACC where it ended up at the end of the year with two teams in the top 10 and a total of five in the top 25. That's only happened one year in ACC history. The ACC was created in 1953. That's, a lot, that's 70 years ago, right? So this is a, a league that has a chance if Clemson reaches its ceiling. If some a second team steps up, and if these other members of the top twenty-five, like the Wolfpack, like Wake Forest, like the Miami Hurricanes, maybe somebody else surprises. The Pitt Panthers um, have had kind of an up and down start. This is a league that maybe matters as much as it has since twenty sixteen. Um, so that that because I'm an ACC guy, that is one of my takeaways. Because you know by the end of September, they're often. Years where there's only one ACC team worth following by the end of September. And that's not the case this year, I don't think. Um, But Alabama, while filled with warts against Texas, still has as much talent and depth as anybody else. Ohio State looks that way. Georgia looks that way. We'll see if Clemson stays at that level. Um, But I think there's a, you know, it's going to be fun because there's less predictability outside those top teams. Texas A&M was number six in the nation when app state went to college station and beat the Aggies. So we'll see, maybe those top four or five keep winning. Um, And we know in the current, even in the current system, if they lose once, they tend to get the benefit of the doubt. If you're Alabama and you lose once, but you run the table, you're probably still in right. Um, Ohio state and Clemson tend to get those benefits of the doubt as well. And often they deserve those benefits of the doubt, but, I think it's a little bit more open than most years, because I, I can't get past four or five teams where, you know, I'll be shocked if they uh, if they lose more than a couple game, more than one game. I'll put it that way. There's only a few teams that I'll say I'm not shocked um, if they go uh, eleven and one or or. Uh, you know, maybe even have a chance of running the table. I, th- I think it's a fun factor for most college football fans that even though we know who the very top teams are, we know that members of the top 10 are vulnerable. And I think that unpredictability makes it more fun for just about everybody.
2: I want to get your take, uh, DG, on a stat that I first heard on your show, so I give you credit for it. But the last time NC State won an ACC title, I was in first grade. And Durham, North Carolina at Holt Elementary School. Um, So actually, I was at uh, St. Mary's, but I transferred the next year. But anyway, Mm -hmm. so 1980 was the last time North Carolina won a title. I mean, when you think about Duke uh, Blue Devils, they shared the title in 89 with Virginia. Duke's had a title before NC State in North Carolina. It was a shared title, but uh, with Spurrier, but... Uh, do you see Dave Dorn finally bringing home uh, a trophy to Raleigh? I mean, is it, because I was really disappointed, I'll say this, with the Raleigh media, who I love very much, how they didn't give East Carolina credit. They are like, NC State didn't play very well. And I thought that it was more of that East Carolina played really well and state they played up. And I don't think NC State played down. I just think East Carolina played uh, much better than they thought.
1: I don't think that this is the year for the Wolfpack. I do think they have a good team, but to win the ACC title, remember there's one more year of this divisional format. So you got to get past the Clemson Tigers. And I know Clemson has some quarterback questions right now, but the Tigers are pretty good almost everywhere else. And I mean, defensive line, linebacker, secondary, special teams, you name it, they're pretty darn good. So I still think the class of the league is the Clemson Tigers. NC State is a member of the Atlantic division, right? And it's been hard for anybody in that division to even make it to the uh, ACC championship game, much less win one. And on October 1st this year, you know, State has to go to Clemson where the Tigers are even more difficult to beat. So I, you know, you never say never, uh, but if I'm a Wolfpack fan, I'm more excited about, the possibility of the second 10-win season in the history of the school. I mean, you brought up one ugly piece of history, no ACC title since 1979. That's hard to take. I mean, a whole lot of people have been alive for 40-plus years and have never seen an ACC title from the Wolfpack. And another ugly piece of history is that they've been playing football for more than 100 years at NC State, and they only have one 10-or-more-win season, one I think that's a legitimate goal for the Wolfpack, but they're going to have to play to their potential to do it, and preseason ACC player of the year, Devin Leary at quarterback, is going to have to be a lot better against the rest of this schedule than he was against that inspired ECU team in Greenville.
2: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see uh, with that, and um, I, I really thought that NC State, had they have East Carolina. I mean, when you you look at a lot of the things, that are, our special teams is, uh, is struggling right now. I think that's a big thing with East Carolina they have to fix, but uh, I think that's a lot easier to fix than, than other problems we've had in the past where the guys were just not physical enough, not big enough, not strong enough to compete at the level that we are. Uh, what games are you looking at this week for the ACC, knowing that you're the ACC guru we have on from time to time?
1: Yeah, it's almost entirely a non-conference schedule. Florida State does go to Louisville uh, the, in that Friday night game on ESPN, but it's mostly non-conference stuff. I think it probably starts with Miami, which is ranked in the national top 25. The Hurricanes are 2-0 and under their new coach, Mario Cristobal, and they are visiting that Texas A&M team that just got embarrassed by App State at College Station. That's a Saturday night game on ESPN, so – It'll be interesting to see if the Hurricanes can get to 3-0 and against an A&M team that may change quarterbacks, uh, but we know they're talented at other positions at A&M. We know they'll have another huge, loud crowd, and maybe one of their backup quarterbacks can give them a lift in a way that obviously they desperately needed but never got offensively against App State. Remember, that was an eight- App State team that gave up 60-plus to Carolina, so it's not like it's a dominant App State defense the Aggies just couldn't get it done. So I think maybe nationally, Miami at Texas A&M, there's only two or three games in the whole country where it's top 25 versus top 25. So that would be one example. And then closer to home, NC State is 2-0 and and hosts 2-0 and Texas Tech of the Big 12. So if the Wolfpack is really going to have something like a dream season, this is the kind of game that it has to win against a Texas Tech team that is not ranked but did just take out Houston, one of the better teams from the American. So uh, that'll be another one worth watching. Oddly enough, Syracuse is 2-0, which has surprised a lot of people. The Orange have played really well. They have only had one good year in the entire Dino Babers era, Uh, and I think it was 2018. So he needed another good year to get away from the hot seat and so far so good for the Orange, Uh, they host Purdue of the Big Ten this weekend. So this is the rare year where the ACC has a winning record against Power Five non-conference opponents, Um, and that is not always the case. Um, So we'll see how those non-conference matchups go. If the ACC somehow won all three of those, that would be another step toward you know maybe it's best season since 2016
2: from wake forest stan cotton stan how are you
4: i'm well how are you guys been been enjoying the chat here the last few minutes
2: absolutely glad to have you in fact you're two ac gone uh, here over Get your take on you guys uh with the league. Well, you were talking about the football play. Uh Wake Forest, you guys are uh looking good. Great, great to have your quarterback back too.
4: Yeah, I mean that that was uh that was a shot to the uh, solar plexus when the news came down that uh, you know Sam Hartman was gonna uh, be out for a time. And, you know, thankfully for him, he's he's healthy and and everything looks good. And it was great to have him back last week in the game at Vanderbilt. Uh, you know, he's he's kind of the heart and soul of, of the Wake Forest team without question. And uh, he certainly showed it, you know, through for 300 yards and four touchdowns in his first game back. So, but, you know, he, Sam Hartman's a great guy to have in the locker room that he just is such a good team guy, a team first kind of guy. And to have your quarterback to be that, type of a player and type of a person is, uh, you know, you just, you you can't place a value on that. So, you know, the Dicks are off for a pretty good start. I think, you know, the question mark this year with Wake Forest really is kind of being, can their defense be better? I mean, they've been scoring a lot of points the last several years and so far so good. I think Brad Lambert back at his uh, second stint as defensive coordinator at Wake, it's really done a really good job. They, they focused on third down they've done terrific there. They've been really good in third down and they've turned people over. So, uh, you know, the, the, the Liberty game this week is kind of a different deal. They, you know, Q freeze is a terrific offensive coach. He calls the plays for Liberty and we're liable to see anything coming up this weekend. So it should be pretty, pretty good game. I think it'll be an
2: entertaining game
4: and, uh, you know, both teams two and O coming in and feeling pretty good.
2: Yeah. DG with, uh, what do you think the chances are for Wake this year? Are they, well, they have a great team and uh, what a great coach. Uh, coach Clausen is one of my all time. I know, I don't know who brags about Dave Clausen more, you or me. I'm a big fan of Dave Clausen.
1: Yeah, I like him personally. I like him professionally. I like everything about the guy. Um, I don't know him probably as well as somebody like Stan does, but everything I do know, I, I just appreciate and I respect. Uh, and everything Stan said about Sam Hartman, I, I feel the same way about him easy to root for on the field easy to root for off the field he just he's a good decision maker he's unselfish he makes plays with his legs with his arm with his brain basically and he's just not all that impressed by himself you know about (laughs) himself so um you know wake is that funny school here in acc country i live in the triangle where there's you know the word hatred often applies among state fans duke fans carolina fans and Wake can occasionally just be that 90 minutes away, Switzerland-type figure that I just don't hear people hate. And it's kind of a fun story when the Deeks are good. And they, they played for the ACC title in football last year under Dave Clausen. his best season in Winston-Salem, of course, after great success in other places. So um, I still think the conversation starts with the Clemson Tigers – But with the Tigers quarterback questions, that leaves the door cracked for what happened last year when, you know, Wake surprised a lot of people by being that Atlantic representative in the ACC title game. Uh, Maybe Wake can do it again, but they do have to deal with Clemson. That's in Winston-Salem. Florida State is better than it has been lately. So that's another divisional opponent. And obviously the Wolfpack thinks it has its best team under Dave Doran. And the pack's also on the Deeks' schedule, so some—it's not only about how good you are. I think Wake is plenty good. It's also about who's on your schedule, and the Deeks have several significant hurdles still ahead.
2: No doubt, I—I really like uh, the chances this year. I really uh, felt like with, um, you know, you talk about NC State. Um, Miami there's a lot of great teams in the league this year you know I know that uh, the ACC doesn't get the credit it deserves and um, being objective because I'm obviously not in the ACC as a member of the media but I, I, I'm very close in ACC country um, not on Tobacco Road but pretty darn close and um, stand with uh, you guys uh, this year what's the recruiting like been for Dave Clawson when he goes to a championship game it's got to be pretty pretty good this year right
4: well, I mean, I, you know, they really have done a, a great job at, at Wake recruiting. And I think the last probably three, four years have been the best years of, of uh, Coach Clawson's now nine-year tenure. It's hard to believe he's been at Wake almost a decade now. But um, I, Wake is probably, uh, you know, and, and David covers the league, you know, and has forever. I, I would think Wake's team right now is as deep as it's ever been under Dave Clawson. Um, You know, and you can sustain an injury or a situation like you had with Sam Hartman. Um, You know, Mitch Griffiths came in against VMI and was VMI was just fantastic. He he really was. Uh, And and you look at Wake position by position. They've got good players. You know, used to at Wake, you know, when you would lose a, a frontier player, the drop off from one to two was significant. It's not like that anymore. Uh, and you can go three deep. You know, Wake's got a lot of position groups, defensive line for one, where they've got a lot of different players that Dave Clawson is absolutely happy to have in the game. Uh, and, and I think that's because their recruiting has, has really ramped up over the last three, four years. And I think a lot of a lot of the reason for that, uh, really, guys, you know, Wake's really invested in football. Uh, from, from the top down, from the president's office, board of trustees. Wake's really invested not just uh, uh, in, uh, you know, securing Dave Clawson for a number of years, but uh, facilities and, and all kinds of things. Uh, they really have put football out there, and they say, look, we're, we want to compete for championships in this league, and to do that, we're going to have to spend some money. Uh, and do a lot of other things that, that a lot of other schools are doing and have been doing for years, and so I think Wake's caught up uh, in a lot of ways in some of those areas, uh, and and it pays off in recruiting. It really, really does. And so, uh, yeah, when you play for an ACC title, that that certainly has to help you. But but I, you know, Coach Clawson and his staff have been doing a great job the last several years anyway. Uh, and then to add the 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 fact that yeah, we 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 did make it to the ACC title game last year then that, that certainly doesn't hurt you. Uh, but, uh, I I just, uh, Dave Clawson, uh, has just done a wonderful job. I he's the perfect guy at the right time. Uh, and I, you know, he, he comes from an academic background, not only from his, his time in, in college at Williams college, but the other places he's been as a football coach, I think he understands maybe more than some more than many, maybe, uh, what it takes what kind of special kid it takes number one to to get into Wake Forest, number two to stay at Wake Forest to stay eligible, uh, but also play at the highest level of the league. And so he's figured that out, I think, to in in a lot of ways. Uh, and his, his staff they they get it, they understand that. And so uh, again, they they've gotten better football players uh, to Winston Salem the last several years. And I think it you know it shows when you go eleven and three, you're doing something right.
2: Stan, no doubt. And I want to get y'all's take, even though both y'all are not at uh, Duke University. What about the 2-0 start for Mike Elko? I really – I will say the word right off. I was just curious to see how – I thought the defense would be better, obviously, but uh, the 2-0 start for another team, that the academic standards are very high. You have Wake – uh, and uh, speaking of Tobacco Road, Wake and Duke, the academics are really high. You can't just take any old guy, as everybody that's watching, listening probably knows. But uh, what would you all take so far on Duke so far at 2-0?
4: Dan, go ahead. I David, you you might have heard this stat. I heard the other day that this is maybe the first time ever that Wake that, that all these guys are two and zero to start. Is that
1: right, Dave? That is correct. And and I think I was maybe the first to go all the way back to the 1880s to figure okay. that out. So I I tweeted something at David Glen Show. It kind of went viral. And I'm sure I know people double checked my work and and I didn't mind because that's that's some laborious stuff to dig through all that, because especially back in the day, they might list all the games, but finding the dates are harder. Yeah. So when you're looking for two and oh starts, as modest as that sounds, all four members of what many around here call the big four, Duke State, Wake and Carolina, all four having a two and oh start in football in the same year, never until this year. That's just crazy to me. There, there were years that they played each other in the opening two weeks. So it would have been a, an impossibility for all of them to start and zero. but that hasn't happened that much in, in my lifetime. It used to happen a lot way back in the day. So it is, it's fun to me. It just gives us more to talk about more to look forward to. Uh, you have three teams that were supposed to be intriguing in wake and state and maybe to a lesser degree Carolina, but Dave, to your question about Duke 12 of the 14 ACC teams knew that they had a proven starting quarterback, either their own guy returning, uh, Sam Hartman at wake at uh, Devin Leary at NC state and many others, or an incoming transfer who had started at his previous school. So there were 12 essentially returning starter caliber guys at the most important position on the field. Duke and Carolina were the only two that didn't have that guy. And a guy named Riley Leonard has lit it up for the Blue Devils so far. And Drake May at Carolina has been sensational. So I do think it's mostly defense that answers your question about why Duke is 2-0. But David Cutcliffe was a quarterback's guru, and when he had a Daniel Jones-caliber NFL talent, the Devils usually won more games. And when the cupboard was bare – Uh, Even quarterbacks guru, David Cutcliffe, wasn't cranking out five win seasons, much less eight win seasons. So Mike Elko knows defense, man. He was at Wake during Stan's time with the He, I think Notre Dame backed up the truck and gave him a lot of money to take over the Irish. And then Texas A&M saw what he did at both of those schools and backed up the truck with even more money. So he finally gets his first head coaching job. You knew he would change the culture on defense. Uh, but, but I was surprised when they shut out Temple. Duke hasn't shut. It's hard in modern college football to shut somebody out. It's just uh, you can play well on defense and something weird happens and it's not a shutout. They shut out Temple, which is not a good team, but a shutout is a different animal. And then they went to Northwestern and beat a Big Ten team. So credit to the Devils. I don't think they'll sustain that kind of early start. But Mike Elko has them playing with confidence on defense and they have confidence in their young quarterback as well.
4: Yeah, you, you, you can't talk to Dave Clawson very long. And, and when you're talking about Mike Elko and he just heaps praise on Mike, they were together for a lot of years uh, at Wake Forest and, and before uh, they, they came to Wake. So, and they're, they're still good friends. You know, Mike's a great football coach, obviously defensive minded, but uh Uh, It doesn't surprise me that he's kind of herded those cats a little bit to start, but I I kind of, David, you're probably right. I mean, it's going to be hard to sustain uh, for a while, but I, 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 it would, it would really surprise me if Mike Elko didn't do a really good job at Duke and got them, you know, back to uh, winning more games than not. So uh, uh, those of us who know Mike are happy for him. He's a good football coach and they're going to do well.
2: You know, guys, that's one of the things that uh, the topics that, I was going to talk about because of, obviously, Scott Frost, that situation in Nebraska. You got to know who you are and where you are. And you take uh, Wake Forest, who You guys, uh, Stan, have done an amazing job with the hiring the right guy. You're talking about the facilities. The commitment is there. And you look at Nebraska, and I just think there's some schools that they they're living in their past. I mean, you look at. Nebraska like the last time they were relevant I was barely out of college and I'm not trying to be mean when I said that but I think sometimes the expectations of there's other schools which I'm not going to go down that path but I was just really surprised they've had I think the stat was and y'all know better than I do but um, after Tom Osborne I believe since he's retired they've had six coaches in the last 20 years and they'd only had two coaches with uh, Osborne and the coach before him had coached for many, many years combined. Um, it just seems like that job, not that, um, that there are not a lot of guys that would take that job, but that job is a really difficult job right now. And as a kid, I remember how great they were all the way till, through my college years. Like the first 20-some years of my life, you know, Nebraska was very good.
1: Yeah, to me, the two programs, and maybe there are others I'm not thinking of, but growing up, Tennessee was almost always good, and they have been the roller coaster with lots of coaching changes, and Nebraska was always good. And since then, they have been a roller coaster with lots of coaching changes. The two things they have in common, or, or the number one thing they have in common, I should say, is that neither is located in a great high school football area. So when Tom Osborne was winning big at Nebraska, he was getting young men from California. And, and I mean, I grew up in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He was signing guys from Jersey and PA because high school football in Nebraska is nothing like what it is in Texas or California or Florida or Georgia or some other States. And similarly, Tennessee does not produce an extraordinary number of big time power five style prospects. So To me, the bottom line is it's harder to win in a sustainable way when you're not not only not located in a state with great high school football, but in Nebraska case, you know, you're not even really close to a state. You know, you can go south to Texas and Oklahoma and go west to California and try to hit the East Coast. But man, I've always thought that if you happen to be based in Florida, Texas or California, it's like owning an oil company and being based in the middle east like it's (laughs) it's a built-in advantage and it's not quite that simple when it comes to human beings but i think there's some parallels there
2: stan how about for clausen has that made it easier with obviously the population of north carolina has grown so much in my lifetime and i think what is it now the ninth largest uh as far as population state in the country or it's right around there has that helped dave clausen i'm not i haven't looked at the roster forgive me this year i know we've had you on but uh, has that helped him re- in recruiting like having great talent so close to uh winston salem
4: oh I, I you know i don't think there's any doubt that that's uh, that's true and you know a school like wake can recruit nationally if it has to but but what you want to try to do is is recruit kids whose parents can can get to to campus quickly Uh, you know, drivable distances, and uh, that doesn't, you know, you're you're not obviously confined to North Carolina uh, to do that, but uh, uh, it it doesn't hurt uh, when you're, the state that you're in has great talent, Uh, and, you know, I I think Coach Clawson's done a really good job in the state of North Carolina, and, and more and more kids are willing to take a look, uh, you know, at Wake Forest, you know, Wake's been in six consecutive bowl games. They've never done that before, and uh, unless something goes crazy this year, I expect them to be in a seventh. Um, and that, you know, that 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 raises eyebrows among young people. It it, it does. I mean, if you're winning football games, they they want to go to a winner, uh, and so that's one reason why I think that Coach Clawson has been able to re- to recruit uh, better these last few years. They're they're winning football games, so that that's always a good thing. The Wake brand is solid across the country with. Uh, guys like Chris Paul uh, you know on TV all the time and talking about Wake that certainly doesn't hurt you and um, you know David was talking about you know Tennessee I grew up in, in Knoxville and I'm an old Tennessee Vol and, and I think uh, that Tennessee maybe is on the way back uh, to some of those years gone by like Nebraska hopes it can get to so we'll, we'll see you know I, I, I still think Nebraska can can get it done but it's, it's not 1978 anymore at Nebraska and they certainly uh, need to know that and I think I think the powers uh, there know that, but they're going to have to make a commitment to doing it a little bit differently, maybe than they've done at the last several years.
2: I was thinking about Mark Stoops, like, you know, a guy like a Kentucky who has what, what at that time was definitely, and maybe still argue a basketball school. They gave him, I mean, he's had a million years and they didn't like pull the plug on him early, I guess, because he didn't have the same kind of pressure that a Calipari would have in basketball. And I'm just wondering if, a, if a Nebraska needs to hire a guy and give him a little bit longer leash. And not, not that – And I, another thing I've said about Scott Frost is the other night, what Tuesday night was, I felt like that after a while, the people saying bad luck, he's lost so many close games. At what point do you say – not to be controversial, but what point do you say that he's being outcoached? And I know that may be mean um, because I actually like Scott Frost and he's a winner – and he's a native guy for uh, you know from um, Nebraska but man that's that was a that stat of how many close games he's lost is is really daunting
1: yeah i think the bottom line is if you're an athletic director or a university president if you believe you have the right person you need to be able to stick it out through rough times through angry mobs which sometimes your own fan base can be the culture at wake forest is not going to be that way, right? That's a spectrum. And there are some sec schools and others where it can be the wild, wild West with, with sometimes not just how fans act, but sometimes, you know, they're kind of just outside the athletic director's door with their mega millions of dollars. And they have true input because of that big, big, big money. So it's a little bit different everywhere, but if you have the right guy, stick it out, even against public opinion. But it, I'm, I'm also of the belief that if you figure, figure out for whatever reason, it's just not the right guy, th- there's nothing wrong with cutting them loose early. But, but just kind of it's the lawyer in me, follow the evidence. If over two or three years, the coaching always goes the other way, or you know former coaches that you trust – telling you that this guy doesn't know his X's and O's that's a problem or maybe he's alienated people on the recruiting trail in local high schools etc I I'm with you on the patience is usually a good thing great story at Virginia Tech I think Frank Beamer won two games in his sixth or seventh year with the Hokies of course they kept him two two wins in your sixth or seventh year is going to get you fired at 90% of the schools out there. (laughs) If you've been there that long and you're throwing up a two-win season, you're in trouble almost anywhere. They kept him, and, of course, he goes on to lead him to the national championship game, a bunch of ACC titles, clearly the iconic legendary coach in the history of the school. So in that case, patience was really a good idea, but only because they knew they had the right guy. Um, It's different with every person. It's different with every school. The money is so big now. If you really believe you have the wrong guy, you've got to pull the trigger. I don't know if you guys saw this at Nebraska, but it shocked me, somebody who follows finances pretty closely. If they had waited until I think it was October 1st to fire Scott Frost, the money they owed him in a buyout, I believe, was going to be reduced by $7 million. That's correct. There are a lot of things I would wait two weeks for to save seven million dollars. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure what's on the list of things I wouldn't wait two weeks yeah. for. To, for seven, I I know it's as part of a hundred million dollar plus athletic department. Seven million doesn't sound as much in that context, but seven million pays for a lot of things, and a lot of sports that don't make money on their right. own. I I mean, holy, something weird must have happened for them to not be willing to wait until October 1st to make a coaching change.
2: Well, I'd heard guys that behind the scenes, uh, people like Omaha folks at Omaha stakes and different ones had said, look, if you go ahead and fire them now, we'll come up with the 7 million. I don't know, but all I know is it's more money than I'll ever make uh, as a guy that's been a broadcaster (laughs) <laughs> even if
1: that's true, even if that's true, if I'm Omaha Stakes, I'm waiting till October first, exactly. And, and I'm yeah. using that seven million to pour into whatever Nebraska's next weight room renovate or something. I mean, jeez, yeah, that just made no sense to me. Usually, there's one heck of a story behind the scenes when something like that happens. I don't personally know what that story is in this case. I'm not on the big 12 beat or the, or excuse me, the big 10 beat or the Nebraska beat, but uh, there's got to be a heck of a story there. There just does.
3: Now Stan kind of shifting gears back to the Demon Deacons, um, two and O hosting two and O Liberty. Hugh freezes ball club. Obviously he's done a heck of a job there in Lynchburg. You know, what can you tell us about this matchup this weekend?
4: it's a pretty good one. I think, uh, you know, Wake was down at Vanderbilt last week, and they, they've got a lot of good players. I think Clark Lee, you know, has kind of got Vandy trending a little bit better, uh, certainly, than than uh, year one down there. Um, but yeah, Liberty's kind of sneaky now. I mean, they, they, they've been winning a lot of games. Uh, they, you know, won 10 games two years ago. They beat a couple of ACC teams a couple of years ago. They beat Syracuse and Virginia Tech uh, and Hugh Freeze is a good football coach. I don't, you know, and he's an offensive minded guy. I, I, you know, it's going to be like an old scattergun out here in the country. I think when Liberty gets the football on Saturday, there's no telling what, uh, what they're going to do with it. I think Wake will, if Wake considers Liberty, it's probably one of the closest teams that Kind of looks like Wake in a lot of ways. Offensively, they they do a lot of similar things. Uh, so I mean, they they they've got JUCO players. They've got a lot of transfers on that team, and so there's talent there. Uh, and you know, Hugh Freeze and his staff, you know, have to find a way to kind of you know get their arms around it and get them all going in the right direction. And and they've done that more times than not. So I mean, the quarterback a couple of years ago was one of the highest recruited kids in the country. Went to Tennessee and gotten into a couple of things there and transferred to, to Liberty. So, uh, you know, they, they've got a lot of good skill. They've got a couple of kick returners that have taken them back for touchdowns, punts and kickoffs. And so I, you know, we'll see. Um, uh, they, they, again, are just kind of one of those teams that scare me a little bit. Um, and you know, you want to kind of get to the game and, and get through that first quarter and, and exhale a little bit if you can. Uh, but, uh, uh, I think it'll be a fun game. I think it'll be entertaining. I think there'll be some points scored and uh, I think the team with the best defense, uh, you know, will probably come out on top on that one. And and I like the way, again, as I talked about a few minutes ago, like like the way Wake's defense is trending. Uh, they, they've stepped it up a little bit, really good on third down. That was one of their focuses. And uh, so, you know, we'll see, but uh, weird kickoff time, five o'clock in the afternoon on Saturday. I'm not, I've been doing this a long time. I can't remember five o'clock kickoff. It's it's homecoming. It, maybe it's around that. But uh, but again, I, I think it uh, it'll, it'll be a fun game. I think it'll be a good one.
3: And that is on the ACC network, correct?
4: I don't know. It's on the radio network. That's all I know. Yeah.
3: <laughs> you, you know what? You know what's crazy, guys. Of and, course,
1: we know who has the radio side of things. Uh, feels like Stan has been in that role forever and, and with distinction at that. I believe this is the weekend, I'll have to double check it real quick, but I believe it's the weekend where the ACC attempt, is attempting to have a quadruple header on the ACC network on the TV side. So in other words, the first game is a weird time, like 11 a.m. kickoff, and then there's a two, and then there's the Wake Forest Liberty five, and then there's an eight. So there's it's going to be something like – you know, 12 consecutive hours of four different ACC-related football games as the content on that channel, which, you know, is, has become a very important part of the way the ACC does business. But everybody, should, look, everybody should listen, to, listen really... to Stan on the
3: radio side. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Turn down your TV. Yeah, and it, 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 and use right. that app. I'm, I'm sure you're aware yeah. of um, the app or website. Um, where you can sync the broadcast uh, with the with the television broadcast, right, Stan?
4: SyncmyTV.com. That's right. There you go. There Even you know, go. I'm coordinated
1: enough to do that.
2: <laughs> and you guys both have won North Carolina Broadcast of the Year, right? Am I? If my memory serves me right.
1: That is correct.
4: Every now and again, you you know they sling one our way, right, David? We'll take it. What is it? The clock
1: The, the clock is always right twice a day.
2: Right, right. <laughs> well, guys, thank you so much for coming on tonight. We appreciate it very much uh, here on the Inside Slant on the Sports Objective. And uh, Stan, how can people hear the game? Because you know I'm a radio guy, Stan, so I'm one of those radio nerds and DG knows that I like to listen to the broadcast. Um tell you what, I, uh,
4: last year or two years ago in basketball, dur- during a game I was checking Twitter, I don't know why, during a commercial break, and, and a guy tweeted at me that he was – uh, listening to us in Africa on the uh, the Wake Forest Game Day app, which is a free download. And also Learfield's got an app called Varsity. Right. You need to download the Varsity app uh, and you can listen to, to Wake Forest and a ton of other schools across, anywhere in the world absolutely free or the Wake Forest Game Day app. Of course, we've got stations around the state, but uh, if you can't find one of those, uh, Wake Forest Game Day app or uh, the Varsity app, free anywhere all the time.
2: All right. I know. How about social media? Can you tell folks like Twitter and Facebook and the like?
4: Yeah, we're all over social media on what we call behind the mic. People can actually watch us inside if they want to do that. Uh, They can watch us. They can't see the field. That would be a uh, that would be a no, no. But they can see our antics in the broadcast booth uh, while we call the game. And that's all over uh, YouTube and and Twitter and Facebook and and, and everywhere else. So uh, a lot of folks are starting to do that and have, have a lot of fun watching us have a lot of fun.
2: Sounds good. Appreciate you so much, Stan. Hope you have a great call. Looking forward to listening to it uh, this Saturday, and uh, go Deeks. You bet. Thanks a lot, guys. Good night. Appreciate it. Good night.
4: See you, Stan.
2: And DG, how about you? Obviously, uh, one thing uh, that we wanted to talk about, too, okay, before we let you go, I for- failed to mention one of the articles you wrote about is something that our good friend Patrick Johnson was talking about on a show mm-hmm. on 94.3 The Game this afternoon about game day coming to Boone. And he was like, man, he's like, you know, why not Greenville? Why not ECU? You know, we've won. And you know that, DG, over the years, not to be living in the past. We've won a lot of games since you've been North Carolina, starting out as a young journalist. I think when you were 12. Um, But but now uh, they're going to Boone. And I think that there's a lot of people that equate Appalachian State to East Carolina of the 90s. How many giant killer? How many games that we took down the Miami's of the world, West Virginia? You can name a whole bunch of schools, and there's a little bit of, I guess, uh, jealousy, uh, maybe. Um, But anyway, they uh, he mentioned about that, and it was uh, curious to see. I was going to ask you that question, and we talked about in the green room about how many times, and you know this because you wrote an article about it. I'm plugging for you. How many times game day has come to North Carolina?
1: Yeah, believe it or not, game day as an on-site extravaganza for ESPN has been around since 1993. So it's basically 30 years old. Mm -hmm. And it's only been held on North Carolina soil seven times, counting this weekend at App State. So Boone will host for the first time. Carolina hosted once back in 1997. NC State hosted once. Wake Forest hosted once. And the other three were all in Charlotte. And those three Charlotte games, two of the three were ACC football championship games, but all three of those games on North Carolina soil in Charlotte specifically, didn't even involve a state of North Carolina team. So it's really four examples where there was a true North Carolina University as the host. And in all four of, or in the first three of those games, there were top five teams involved. You know, Miami was number three in the nation visiting NC State back in 2004. And the Wolfpack hosted game day. Uh, Carolina was in the top five and hosting Florida State, which was also in the top five in 1997, the first time that game day came to North Carolina. And then Wake Forest hosted when Clemson was number one in the nation just a couple years ago. Uh, I believe that was one of the pandemic style games. Um, And those Charlotte games also had very, 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 very highly ranked teams. So obviously this, this app state game is going to be the first that doesn't have a top five team involved. So part of the answer to Patrick's question is the pirates aren't ranked in the top five and they don't host teams that are ranked in the top five very often. App state of course is not ranked, but app state just posted one of the biggest wins in school history. Uh, has ECU gone on the road and beat a top-10 opponent? I'm not sure. Uh, I don't have that number in front of me. But we know App State just went on the road and beat a top-10 opponent, and that quickly translated into the the uh, Mountaineers getting to host game day for the first time in school history.
2: It's going to be a lot of fun, and I know that uh, good for Appalachian State. I'm happy for them, but maybe, just maybe one day. So, DG, if we get college game day to come to Greenville, will you come to that game? Absolutely.
1: Sign me up, man. I was there in 1997 for that Carolina-Florida State game. It was one of the best atmospheres I have ever seen in this entire state for a football game. It was that good. Bobby Bowden, the Seminoles, visiting Mac Brown and the Tar Heels. Both sides had tons of NFL players. That place was rocking. Back then they fit 62,000-plus in Keenan Stadium. It was the loudest I've ever heard it to this day. So there can be some, some magic with game day. Florida State won that game, so the Heels didn't turn that home field advantage into a victory. Um, But this is a different animal, right? I mean, App State's not a member of the Power Five. Uh, Game day goes to Alabama and Ohio State far more than it goes anywhere else, uh, and that shouldn't surprise anybody. In fact, both Ohio State and Alabama have hosted game day more than the entire state of North Carolina's schools combined. So. It's not just ECU that hasn't gotten to love. It's, uh, you know, Carolina's had some top 10 teams. NC State had an 11-win team with Phillip Rivers. Right. There have been a lot of good teams and big victories that were not rewarded with game day. Um, and again, put aside those three Charlotte games, there's only four examples in 30 years. And the other three all involve top five teams. So I guess the bottom line is either get into the top five or host a top five team or do something like the Mountaineers just did at Texas A&M. And then, then maybe, depending on what else, what other options game day has, obviously they're surveying the landscape. If your big moment happens to come at a time where game day is already booked in other cities, well, they're not going to make a decision seven days before
2: right. to,
1: to bring their traveling circus to your town.
2: No doubt. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. But Boone is such a great atmosphere I've seen it on TV. I've never been there to The Rock, but I, I look forward to going there uh, very soon. Hopefully I can. Uh, my son's playing football now, DG, so it's kind of hard. to. Um, and my daughter's playing soccer, so I'm having to be clo- close by. The, the days of traveling probably will be maybe an maybe a bye week for them or something like that, but uh, certainly to get to Boone right now is going to be really difficult uh, for sure. Um, There's no, oh, no job, the no job
1: more important than parenthood, man. So
2: keep up the good work. No doubt, and, uh, and Bubba reminds me we're going to next year that and uh, and Boone. So I'll have to go there when the Pirates. play. You,
1: you should. I've been there many times. It's not a huge stadium, but they get jacked up for big games, and they they squeeze people into Kid Brewer Stadium, and it's an expanded stadium too. Um, I was there when my aunt, the Miami Hurricanes, visited them a few years ago. I took the big tailgate tour out there. And of course I've been there many times to cover games or nowadays visit my daughter. Um, so she got to see that crazy scene after the Mountaineers beat Texas A&M that that campus was in chaos for a while.
2: I bet uh, if I were 20 years old or 15, 18 years old, it would be fun. Um, but not now at almost 50 years of age, uh, it's past my bedtime or getting close to my bedtime now. Uh, DG. Uh, How can people find your work? I see that up on the screen for those people watching, but listening, how can people follow you in uh, your work?
1: Yeah, the majority of my work nowadays appears at chapelboro.com. So it's the word chapel and then b-o-r-o.com. If you Google holding court with David Glenn, my whole archive comes up. So just dozens and dozens of articles that I've written over the last two years at chapelboro.com. And as always, you can follow me on Twitter. I have a lot of fun there, at David Glenn Show. It's the same handle I've had for probably a decade at this point, at David Glenn Show on Twitter, and then online at chapelboro.com. I wrote about game day's visits to North Carolina, all seven of them. And I did write about uh, the first time since – well, the first time ever that Duke, State, Carolina, and Wake all have started in football at 2-0 and or better. I had to go all the way back to the 1880s to certify that but uh, yeah you can find all the details on both of those topics at chapelboro.com.
2: and not many times that uh, Lisa Triangle schools or I think there's been a couple times uh, they've been at the top 25 together It's only happened a couple t- a few times in modern history I don't know back to back uh, when they started doing polls but I know like 1957 94 uh, was another year that came to mind I believe all the top of my head were two times. As far as those three schools uh, being in the top 25, not many times Mm-mm. that happens as well. That David, is not a long list. Thank you, brother. Uh, appreciate your hard work. Appreciate you being on. Thanks for staying along with us and uh, give my best to the family. And looking forward to seeing you very soon. Hopefully, you can come down to tailgate with us at ECU.
1: Sounds great, man. Always fun to be with you all. Dave, Bubba, take care of yourselves. Keep up the good work, and we'll talk again soon.
2: All right, man. Have a good night. You too. Appreciate you. All right, thanks to DG for staying a little bit extra there and uh, helping us out uh, throughout the night, navigating through. We've had technical difficulties, but um, hey, that's what it's all about. Um, When you do a live show streaming, you never know what's going to happen. Talking to some colleagues earlier about that uh, this afternoon. It's uh, certainly a great night uh, for the Pirates. Bubba, I don't have a score for our women's soccer team. I've been trying to uh, obviously... Um, do you know that that score at SMU? I'll
3: double check. I believe it's uh, two to nothing Mustangs. Okay. All right. I was. Yeah. I was a, that. Correct. Correction. It, it is one to one at halftime. Oh, wow. Okay. One to one at halftime. So I knew we had, um, it was a scoreless match there about 25 or so minutes in at least. And then the Mustangs took that one to nothing lead and, uh, and, while we're doing the show, uh, I knew Johnny Gardner was watching it and uh, keeping me posted. And I thought he had said it was two nothing. I I apparently misread that text and it's one-to-one between the pirates who are receiving votes and the
2: 19th ranked Mustangs there on the hilltop in Dallas. As a matter of fact, they, uh, I believe their ranked number, um, the Mustangs ranked Bubba 19th in the country. Yeah,
3: they're not, they're 19th and we're receiving votes. So if we, if we are able to uh, pull out this win, then, um, you know, odds are, you know, especially if we take care of business on Sunday night at home, if we're, I guess what that would make us
2: seven, two and one and, and and we'd be in the polls. Yeah. I'm very excited. In fact, Bubba knows uh, we've been working hard. Bubba and I have um, to get coach Gary Higgins. Obviously he invited us to come there and we're going to go to his office here very soon and do an interview. We're going to give them some love. We try to give, uh, as you guys have watched our show for many years or listened to it over the last four and a half years, we work really hard to not only have the uh, the big three, if you will, of basketball, baseball, and football, but obviously the Olympic sports that we think a lot of too. And we've got a lot of great uh, coaches and uh, obviously athletes. So we try to uh, showcase them. And we're working on stuff behind the scenes um, as well. And uh, we'll leave it at that for right now. Hey, Bubba, I tell you what, big game with, uh, what a game with Appalachian State. I know you had a chance uh, to have an interview earlier with David Ware, right? I did, and uh,
3: actually, before we go to that interview, uh, which was right at 20 minutes with David Ware of App State Mania, the Mountaineers 24-7 sports site, I figured very quickly, uh, you know, we would I mentioned some of the top games of the weekend. I won't spend a whole lot of time on it because you can go back and watch Sonny and Semenza, and yep. they took a little bit more of an in-depth look at some of these matchups that I'm going to mention. Uh, and then also um, Pirate Breakdown with Sutton Young, in addition to talking about the East Carolina and Campbell game, we talked about some of the top games within the American. In the AAC, you have Tulane traveling to Manhattan, Kansas to take on um, the K-State Wildcats, and um, K-State's a 14-point favorite in that one. played uh, have victories at home over all points Also, um, U.S., um, winning both of those very handily. And then you have Kansas coming off the overtime win up in Morgantown against the Mountaineers. Uh, Neil Brown, I think, is definitely – on the hot seat there, um, I would be surprised if he isn't. But uh, Kansas and and the Jayhawks headed to H Town this weekend to take on Dana Holgerson, uh, Kyle's favorite coach in the American, and the Let's the start. Houston the Houston Cougars and uh, and the Cougars. Uh, I'm a little surprised. I thought they would be favored, especially with that game being at Houston, but uh, with Kansas playing so well, uh, Houston. Who is one and one? A close win in overtime at UTSA, and then a close loss, thirty-three to thirty, at Texas Tech. The Cougs are still a nine and a half point favorite in that one. You have SMU, a three point dog at Maryland, as they attempt to get a nice out of conference win over a Big Ten foe. And uh, I like their chances of doing that. Uh, Maryland is two and zero, oh, but I don't. Their schedule hasn't been very challenging to date. And then you have USF. Uh, They're playing in the swamp, and uh, as we know, the Bulls have really been struggling, and they're a 24-point dog to the Florida Gators. Uh, Nationally, some of the top games, and the first one that really comes to mind is uh, number 12, BYU, because that's an opponent of the Pirates. They're traveling to Austin Stadium to take on 25th-ranked Oregon. The Ducks, very much like BYU a week ago, uh, BYU, I think, was a little bit – and the, the These numbers, these rankings were reversed when they took on Baylor, and BYU was favored by three or four points against the higher-ranked Baylor Bears, and they were able to win that thriller in Provo. So now you have 12th-ranked BYU, a three-and-a-half-point dog, to the Ducks. Uh, you have number 22, Penn State, traveling to the Plains to take on Auburn. Uh, the Nittany Lions are a three-point favorite in that one. Uh, you'll recall here in the last uh, – I think it maybe it was – I don't know if it was two years ago or maybe it was last season. Um, I think it was definitely either last season or 2019. Penn State hosted Auburn, and that was an absolute thriller in Happy Valley. Yep. And then, um, you know, Penn State won a thriller uh, coming back to beat Purdue in their opener. Last week they blew out Ohio. Auburn last week got a scare from San Jose State trailing 10 to seven at halftime and then they were able to hold off the Spartans um, come back and defeat San Jose 24 to 16 in that one but um, that one will be very interesting in you know a game that Brian Harson who you know, you know for whatever reason folks were trying to run out the door during the all season there in Auburn uh, a game that would definitely you know, earn him some favor with the Tigers fans. And then you have NC State. They're a 10-and-a-half-point favorite as they host Texas Tech. And then you also have number 13 Miami traveling to College Station uh, taking on Texas A&M. And Texas A&M is a six-point favorite in that one.
2: No doubt. Some great games. And I'll tell you what, you're right about uh, both Auburn and LSU. We'll have to see uh, how they go, in. Tough fan bases. I know what it's like, you know, when people talk about expectations and you want to win, but man, they like that. It seems almost like you're cursed if you win a national championship, especially, um, well, both places, but LSU um, comes to mind. But uh, certainly we'll have to wait and see. That's why it's going to be interesting to see about with Alabama, Texas coming in. I'm sorry, with Texas and Oklahoma coming in. I misspoke about those two schools about how. How hard it's going to be for them to win at the level they normally are used to winning, especially at Oklahoma, in recent years. Um, will the fan base be happy with the you know, uh, I guess maybe Texas because they ha- they've struggled, but with Oklahoma, would they be happy with the eight and four, nine and three, knowing that that schedule is going to be really, really tough, um, and the SEC? So we'll have to. I'm not worried about it because I'm not a fan of those schools, um, but we'll have to wait and see how that plays out.
3: Yeah, and as far as Nebraska is concerned, and I'm not necessarily saying that you were saying that the Cornhuskers should be content with uh, what they've currently been going through because I don't think that, but, but at the same time, yeah, I think Nebraska, with the support of that program um, and being pretty much the only show in town within that state, and I understand some of the dynamics there as far as population and so on and so forth, but uh, I don't think they're going to get back to where they were previously. But there's no reason that they shouldn't expect to to at least be winning, you know, eight to nine games and then occasionally more uh, and, you know, maybe making a push every now and then for the playoff. And there's no reason with the support that program has that they can't expect that, Um, much less, you know, going through three, four, five win seasons like they have recently.
2: Right. I'm not – I'm definitely not saying that they should be content with being mediocre or – below average i'm just simply saying that i think that they have it's like with us bubba with uh with the montgomery years we were not happy with three and nine three and nine three and nine but we knew that you know especially after that second year and then montgomery comes back for the third year we didn't have expectations of winning eight or nine games now uh are we going to say that we're happy with three wins of course not that would be absurd um that's ludicrous but at the same time we knew where we were and the pecking order at that time. I mean, we were what dead last or next to last at the time when there was only 130 teams and the um, FBS. So we've come a long way. And are we happy? Are East Carolina fans happy with where we are? No, but we are much happier now. And that's my point with Nebraska. They need to start somewhere. And I think that they have this expectations, unrealistic expectations of. I'm not saying that they never will get back to the mountaintop, or that they don't, they won't be a top 25 team or anything like that. I just think that they're expecting to be there is my point, and they're not anywhere close to that.
3: I agree with you. Going going back to the early 2000s, um, I, I want to say maybe it was 03 when they hired hired fired Frank Solich, yeah, and then, uh, he ended up getting that Ohio U job, but Frank Solich. You know, two years earlier or whatever, I think it was 01, that they had played Miami in the Rose Bowl uh, for the BCS national title. And, you know, they are just a couple years removed. Uh, he gets canned. Um, so I think, I think that's an excellent point or example, I, I should say, of what you're saying as far as the expectations there and just another example of how it's hard to follow the man because – no matter how well you do, even when you you go nine and three or ten and two, it's a disappointment because you're used to playing for national titles every year and your fan base is full.
2: Yeah, but wouldn't, um, that, be, wouldn't that be nice, Bubba? <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> but uh, before we go to this conversation with David Ware of App State Mania, very quickly, wanted to go to this comment from Richard Osbrook. and he he asked, "When yeah. is the last time that ECU football was a thirty point favorite?" And and then um, Johnny Robertson chimed in um, with a game that was coming to mind going back to the next to last year of the Ruffin McNeil era, and the Pirates were off to that excellent start. And, you know, it ranked in the um, college football yeah. playoff poll there shortly after this like when 16. it came out for the, for the initial time in 2014. Um, you know, you had the Pirates a 40-and-a-half point favorite over uh-huh. SMU that day because I remember – we won 45 to 24 and, you know, folks were ticked off I was like, and little do they know what was in store just a couple of years later. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they, they would have been, they would have been be- begging for uh, begging for those circumstances and, and complaining about a three touchdown win.
2: Exactly. We had the very fact of. uh than they are now because we lost that temple game in the rain and if we don't lose that temple game in the rain we would have um that's what killed us man those four turnovers still haunt me to this day those fumbles
3: yep uh, ugly day in philly and uh and our matt semenza was there I'm glad i glad i wasn't but uh
2: yeah no doubt
3: without any further ado let's go to that conversation Uh, With David Ware of App State Mania, the Mountaineers 24-7 site. The Mountaineers are hosting College Game Day up in the high country this weekend as they take on the Troy Trojans in the Sunbelt Conference opener. And here's that conversation with David right now. Right now, we continue on with the Inside Slant. App State taking on Troy in the Sunbelt Conference opener this weekend at Kid Brewer Stadium. College game day is going to be in town for the first time ever and should be quite the scene in Boone, much like it was a couple weeks ago. Right now to talk about that matchup and a whole lot more. Very excited to welcome into the show for the first time from App State Mania, the Mountaineers 24-7 sports site, David Ware. David, we appreciate your time this evening. Hey, always great to be with you, Bubba. No doubt, Tom, you know. Before we talk about the matter at hand I mean, with College Game Day and then the conference opener against the Troy Trojans, just talk about what it was like uh, last weekend down in College Station because I know you were working that game as the sideline reporter on the App State Network.
0: Um, well, I mean, it was uh, – the easy word to say is it was nuts because it was. You know, uh, the the crowd there is phenomenal. Uh, I think the, the game day attendance was 92,000. Uh, ironically enough, I think the heat was about 92% or or 92 degrees and the humidity, about 92%. So, uh, it was, uh, it was a bit of a roaster down there, but, uh, you know, app just played a phenomenal game. Uh, they had a game plan that was designed to win and they executed it. And, you know, I think the most impressive thing to me that I saw all day was, and look, this has been, you know, this has been part of apps tradition. Uh, that's the seventh time in eight games against, uh, uh, against FBS opponents, that, that App State has come out in a, in a one-score decision. Um, you know, they would have liked to have been 8 no in those games, but they have won three of them. And, you know, it, it's, I think the key to it is always that App State is able to match uh, the intensity and the physicality of the teams that they're playing. And that's not easy to do at a power five level because, you know, they've got some, uh, they've got some big dudes. They've got some bad dudes out there. They, they really want to come and pose their will on you because they feel like you're a smaller program. And, um, you know, App State simply refuses to allow that to happen. And, and I think that's why we've been so competitive in those games, but, you know, um, I I don't know that anybody could have predicted the, the level of, uh, of, of really dominance that App State was able to maintain at the line of scrimmage all day, offensively and defensively. Um, you know, offensively, we were, we were able to block it with, with really the, just the five primary offensive line guys that allowed us to get tight ends and running backs out into routes. Um, one of the two offensive touchdowns we scored came from one of our tight ends, so that was vital. Um, you know, on the defensive side, uh, truthfully, we, we had a little bit of injury in a key spot Um, that had us altering the way we were lining up at the line of scrimmage and you know it didn't matter really what we did or what kind of personnel we put in there they held up and um, and you know that was pretty amazing to watch and you know, it's an iconic win, no doubt about it. Um, you, you know, you mentioned we've got game day coming to Boone this week. Obviously, that's a direct result of, of the game last week. Um, and, you know, uh, it, it's not often that you have a, a two million person viewing audience focused in on, on who you are and where you are. So, uh, you know, that's huge. Uh, the win was huge. And I can tell you from having been at a couple of that practices this week, um, they've really tried to put that all behind the players behind the team and and really insulate those guys to get focused on what is a game that if if I, you know, as unbelievable as this will sound, this Troy game is bigger than the Texas A&M game because it's a conference game. This is a ring game. So, you know, if you want to win the Sunbelt conference, you've got to go in and take care of business this weekend. And that's what they've been focused on this week.
3: Before we talk more about that matchup in college game day, um, I mean, still looking back at that win over number 6 Texas A&M in front of 92,000-plus, like you mentioned in College Station, um, what you said uh, summed it up perfectly as far as the way the Mountaineers carried out that game plan to perfection. 9 of 20 on third down, uh, 181 to 89 uh, winning the rushing battle, uh, plus 2 in the turnover battle. You did give up a kick return for a touchdown, but um, you know, forcing uh, Texas A&M to go just 2 for 8 on third down and then 41.5 to 18.5 in time of possession, uh, with the Mountaineers running in, in excess of 80 plays, while the Aggies run, ran what, 38? Correct. So, and just my, some uh, mind boggling statistics there. And, uh, you know, it really shows you what this program and specifically this team uh, is made of, uh, you know, coming off a game in, in which they. Yeah, they scored sixty-one, but also allowed sixty-three to North Carolina. And I just had a feeling. Um, and I took I took the apps with no hesitation in my weekly pick'em contest at eighteen and a half because of uh, I just knew um, this defense has been so good, and they're obviously very good again this year. That that um, that was going to be uh, an atypical performance in Week One, albeit was against uh, a very solid North Carolina offense.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, I, th- I think the defense was the big question mark, and deservedly so. They did not have a good game uh, in the opener against North Carolina. I don't think there's a man in that locker room that would tell you any differently. That's not how App plays defense. Um, you know, the reality is uh, we were replacing and and still are. Uh, it's, it's a transition. Um, several key players on the defensive side of the ball from last year, guys that took a lot of snaps, and you know anytime you've got new players even even when they're talented players which they are um but they're they're really seeing their first you know true tangible game action there's going to be a learning curve I don't care who you are you can you can simulate everything you want in practice it's not the same you know it's just not the same as game speed and um and, and we didn't look good uh we didn't look consistent we weren't disciplined and you know, I, I think that is a testament not only to the coaching staff on that side of the ball, but the guys that play on that side of the ball that, you know, they take enough pride in it that they were, you know, they, they made a collective decision. Uh, we're not going to let that happen again. That's, that's not App State football, and we're not playing that way again. Um, and, you know, it, it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to go do it. And they put it out on the field, and it worked. So, you know, I give a lot of credit to those guys, but, you know, again, uh, we are dealing with some injury on that side of the ball. We are, we are still green in some spots on that side of the ball. Um, you know, it, 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 it's a snap-to-snap season, as you well know. Uh, you know, things can get sideways on you pretty quickly. So, you know, the job this week is to come back out, refocus on where we need to be, and, and deal with an opponent who's going to come at us, I'm sure, differently than we've seen the last two weeks.
3: Obviously, you have a stable of running backs, um, Harrington, Peoples, Noel. Noel ran for 100-plus against North Carolina. He was injured a week ago. Peoples ran for 100-plus, including that big 48-yard uh, rush late in the game that helped put things away um, that uh, nearly went for a touchdown. Uh, so just talk about how things have gone so far offensively. You have a seasoned vet at quarterback in Chase Bryce, and I know um very talented receiver, although um, pretty inexperienced.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think the biggest, you know, the, probably the biggest addition, truthfully, uh, offensively, has been uh, new offensive coordinator Kevin Barbet. He came from Central Michigan. Uh, and, and Kevin has thrown in some wrinkles that people have not seen from App State before. Not that it's incredibly exotic. I mean, it's simple stuff to execute. But, you know, we've not really used tight ends and running backs in the passing game very much. And, and they, they are a threat right now. Um, You know, he's done some simple things that really play to chase Bryce's strengths. uh, And you're seeing that in Chase's production. So, you know, I think all those things have worked together really well. The running back room is incredibly deep. I mean, you know, we're missing Nate Noel, who was the leading Sunbelt rusher last year, you know, and we're still able to run the ball effectively, which tells you a lot about those guys. Um, the receiver group has been um, surprisingly efficient. Uh, you know, Chase doesn't hesitate to throw the ball to any of those guys. He's already targeted, uh, you know, fourteen different receivers in two games. So, you know, I I, I think any anticipated drop off from us there uh, was probably exaggerated. Those guys have looked really good. But I'm going to give most of the credit up front. Again, the offensive line has blocked it extremely well. Um, they are allowing Kevin to expand his offense and do some different things and you know, I, 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 there's nothing that happens until it happens up front, offense or defense. So if you're not blocking effectively, you're toast. And, and those guys have been phenomenal so far. Um, they're very veteran group, although we do have a redshirt freshman who started his very first two games in the last two weeks uh, that's playing like a veteran, frankly. So, you know, I, I, I'm, I think the offense is, is at an advanced point right now um, where you understand what they're capable of. You know, I think the defense, as great as they were last week, and they truly were, you know, they need to continue producing that way so that we understand exactly where the, you know, kind of the, the the medium point, where do these guys fit week in and week out? I think we're still looking for that. And, again, I think anyone on that defensive side of the ball would tell you that.
3: Before we talk about this week's opponent, the Troy Trojans, tell us about the status of Nate Noel, you um- I know a week ago and Nishroff and the ESPN team and you know, they made it seem as though you know it was a situation where it was a game time decision, like no Noel had gone through warm-ups and then just, you know, said I can't go. So um, what can you tell us about him?
0: Yeah, I, I that was an accurate uh report from them. Uh it's what I was also reporting um on the sidelines. He did he did dress, he did go through warmups, and it was his call as to whether he felt like he could help the team that day, um, he made the decision that that he needed to, uh, to to pass the ball over to some other guys, and those guys stepped up and had a good game. Um, uh, as far as this week goes, um, saw Nate at practice, saw him working out. I'm gonna, you know, I, I hate to sound like coach speak here, but I'm gonna call it a game time decision again. Um, I saw enough from him to think he could go. Um, but I didn't see enough from him to know he can go. And, you know, I'm not going to misreport it either. I think he will warm up before that game on Saturday. They'll see how he feels. And, you know, the thing about Nate's game is he's such a violent, quick-cut type of runner that if he can't do those things, then he can't be as effective as he's going to want to be. Uh, It's just the difference in his game. If he were a one-cut north and south guy, you know, maybe he could tolerate it and go on, but it's just not going to work with the way he his instincts are going to tell him he needs to run. So, you know, if, if, if he can't go, we've certainly got a, a stable behind him that can pick up that slack. But uh, I, I'm never going to tell you that you're better off with Nate Noel not on the field. The guy's a home run hitter.
3: Troy coming to Boone with a one and one record. They lost their season opener at Ole Miss. I believe dropping that one 28 to 10. They had trailed 21 to 3 at halftime and, uh, and it managed to keep it respectable there in the second half. And uh, they, they threw the ball nearly 50 times in that one. The Rebels ran for more than 260 yards. And then a week ago, they got a bit of a scare, uh, at least for a half, from Alabama A and M. It was seven to three at halftime, and then they pulled away after halftime. What can you tell us about the uh, Troy Trojans? Well,
0: you know, I think the first thing to do is not to overreact to anything that happened in the first two weeks, because you realize with John Summerall coming in from uh, from Kentucky and taking that program over, they're they're all still getting to know each other, especially on game day. So new systems on both sides of the ball um you know i'm I, I'm, I'm not assuming uh, i'm not assuming anything from the first couple of weeks old miss is an sec program we know how good that those guys are uh you know alabama a and m I, I i imagine um I, I spent more time on the old miss game when i was scouting it but you know i imagine that the the troy was trying some things trying to work out some of the kinks and you know eventually they caught fire in the second half i think they scored I think they scored on six of their last nine possessions. So, uh, you know, they got to where they needed to be. You know, bottom line is that they're playing very hard. Uh, and I think that's a, that's something about Coach Summerall that everybody knows that that is part of his persona. Uh, he's going to expect that from his guys. He's a defensive guy. So, you know, they're only allowing 22.5 points a game right now, which, you know, you, you allow that over the course of the season, and you're going to win way more games than you're going to lose. Um, so, you know, I expect them to come in, uh, defensively and really, uh, try to bring the heat to us. Um, they, they blitz from all different angles, second or third level of the defense. You know, you really never know where it's coming from. They do a pretty good job of disguising it. So I'm, you know, I'm expecting them to, to play attack football on defense. They're not going to, they're not just going to lay back and let us bring it to them. So we're going to have to win a line of scrimmage. We're going to have to make good decisions with the ball. Uh, from the quarterback spot, uh, you know, offensively, uh, it's very atypical of them to be, you know, basically six to one uh, passing to rushing yards. Um, but I know those running backs, we've seen them for, you know, two or three years here in the Sunbelt. Uh, those guys can those guys can run the ball and, and they can you know put a shoulder on you. Um, so it's going to be physical. I think the key there is to make sure that we're getting in the right gaps, that we've got our linebacker fits lined up. Um, they're going to give you a lot of eye candy. They run out of bunch sets a lot. They're going to run a lot of dual routes together where they're working off one another. And, you know, they kind of force you to make good decisions. So uh, it's going to be a challenge. I, you know, it, anytime you play in this league anymore, there's not a week off. And there's certainly not going to be one this week. And, you know, they would love nothing better to come in and, and you know feel like they were wrecking our season uh, after what happened last week.
3: Final thing we have for you, David, and that's uh, circling back to college game day's presence in Boone this weekend. Uh, you talk about the tremendous atmosphere that will undoubtedly exist. Uh, you had a record-setting crowd in in week one, um, you know, upper 30,000s. And so just talk about how ticket sales are going for this one. I can imagine it's probably either a sellout or, uh, or will be very shortly. And uh, just talk about everything that's going on surrounding college game day coming to Boone.
0: Well, it is a sellout. Uh, all reserve tickets are gone and have been for, I don't know, probably over a week at this point. Um, you know, we were a little over 40,000 officially with North Carolina. We had some temporary seating that that was taken out after that game. So we'll probably be more in the I'm going to call it uh, with walk up traffic. You know what, what little still available, probably around 35 or so for that game. Uh, as far as the game day thing goes, um, you know, I, it's huge, you know, and, and that's such a that's such a great fan experience, especially the students. You know, uh, you're happy for the students. That's part of the the experience of being an App State student uh, is, is, you know, driven by football. And, you know, I, like I said, you're you know, you're talking about an audience uh, outside of actual football games. Game day broadcasts are their most uh, popular, their most viewed uh, events. So. You're talking about more than 2 million uh, people that are going to be, you know, focused on Boone, North Carolina for three hours on Saturday. And, and you know, obviously that's huge uh, for any program. So, you know, I, I, there'll be a lot of hype around it. It was announced today that Luke Combs, who, of course, is an App State graduate, is going to be the guest picker this week. Uh, so that's going to, you know, that's going to amp it up even more. Um you know it's going to be nuts over there. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to being over there myself and and you know enjoying some of that experience too. But you know at the end of the day, um, you you don't win a single football game uh, during a game day broadcast. You know it's it's all between the lines, and you know the only thing that can really matter this week is uh, is is starting conference off one and zero. So I know that's where the focus is going to be. But it's you know it's it's great for the university. It's great for the athletic program and football and. Uh, And I'm happy to see, you know, Coach Sean Clark and and the entire team rewarded for what they accomplished last week with, you know, with game day coming to town.
3: I saw on social media, Marty Smith taking a plunge into the duck pond. And, uh, you know, one of the other heavily discussed topics is, um, you know, where would the the set be for college game day? So um, what have you heard on that front?
0: well uh, there's nothing to hear uh, that set is so big it's already in place uh, largely they they they've put it up in the middle of campus in what is called the Sanford mall area uh that's in between a lot of the academic buildings um, right in the right in the heart of campus really uh you know it's kind of a big open field it's a place where students will have easy access walking access to to get to the set so uh, that's already in place and, um, and, you know, I, I would imagine will be completed sometime overnight. Uh, I think there are, there are around 500 students that have applied for access to be in the pit area, which is right in front of the stage. And, uh, you know, it, it'll be nuts. It's, it's a great environment. It'll be a great uh, perspective to, to show the campus and, uh, it'll be fun as far as Marty jumping in the duck pond. Hey, uh, you know, you wouldn't get me in there. Uh, <laughs> it's 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 literally a duck pond, so I'm not sure about sure about the sanitation element of that. But uh, having worked a, a few sidelines with Marty uh, at, at games over uh, the last couple of years, uh, it doesn't surprise me a bit that he took a header into that.
3: Yeah, uh, Marty Smith is something else, and. Not a shocker there that he uh, made that decision to take that plunge. But, as always, we appreciate the time. Always enjoy catching up with you and also play-by-play voice, Adam uh, you know, having Have an excellent uh, game this weekend. Uh, best of luck to the Mountaineers uh, this weekend as well as moving forward. And we look forward to having you back on the show. Tell folks how they can read your work and uh, they follow things with App State Mania.
0: Yeah, uh it's 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 really pretty simple. Uh it's it's appstatemania.com that'll take you right to the 24/7 landing page and uh it's appstatemania on Twitter. Everything that we put out is is tweeted out there as well. Always great being with you. I appreciate you having me on and uh look forward to the next time.
3: Folks, that is David Ware of Appstate Mania, the Mountaineers 24/7 sports site. And that will conclude this edition of the Inside Slant. We appreciate David Glenn. Always great to catch up with DG. Also, Stan Cotton, the play-by-play voice of the Wake Forest Demon Deacons going back to the mid-'90s. And then, as you just heard, David Ware of App State Mania as College Game Day will be in boom this weekend. We appreciate you tuning in wherever and however you're watching or listening, whether it's on YouTube, Facebook, or pretty much anywhere podcasts are found, you can find us. Uh, for Dave Richmond, the absent Kyle Barber, Matt Semenza, I'm Bob Rosenbaum. You've been watching and listening to the Inside Slant on the Sports Objective. As always, we appreciate you tuning in. Go Pirates.